You know, it was so good to sing about grace this morning. Grace. And so many of our songs resonated with that theme. I I appreciated how Tara led us in that new song, Grace Upon Grace. So many Christian hymns throughout uh, church history have resonated with that very theme. And it comes from John 1, how Jesus, full of grace and truth, supplies us with grace upon grace. So we just marvel at Jesus this morning. That's why we've gathered. We've come here to once again come back to sit under the authority of Jesus Christ. And we do that by coming to the Word of God. So take your Bibles once again, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're beginning a new section of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, What's so great about a book as long as the Gospel of Luke is that you can divide it up into several sections, and that's not even an artificial division. It's actually something that Luke planned for. By the time we get to Luke chapter 9, we're focused exclusively now on the mission of the king. Luke 1 through 8 has been primarily focused on the identity of the king. Who is he? And so many different scenes in the Gospel of Luke show us who this king is. And and now chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, you're beginning a section where we should be asking the question, well, what is this king here to do? What is he about? And we're still going to have people asking the question, who is Jesus? But we're going to find that they're kind of late to the game. They're trying to figure out who he is. And if they would just go to him and spend time with him, they would learn. But Jesus is so passionate that people know about him that he wants not only for people to come to him, but he wants those who have come to him to go out and to spread the message. And that's what we're looking at in Luke chapter 9 today. So let's go ahead and read this passage again. Um, We'll have a quick word of prayer and then we'll get right into what I'm calling today mission essentials. Mission essentials. The text says, he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this particular text of scripture. As important as everything else is that we have esteemed this week, this is the most important. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him this morning. And I pray that you would teach us, that you would use me, that you would help all of us who are listening not to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So thank you, Lord, that you are with us, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring the conviction needed, as well as the grace upon grace that we've sung about today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Remember when toilet paper was hard to find? I'm sure you do. It wasn't that long ago. It just struck me as ironic. Yesterday I was walking through a rather small, like a mom and pop grocery store, and I found not one, but two types of toilet paper for sale. And I thought about just how far we've come. You know, back when the pandemic was happening, um, I found it fascinating to figure out human nature and what everybody was buying to prepare for the pandemic apocalypse and how to weather it and how to get through it. You know, studies revealed and statistics revealed what people considered to be essential. In addition to toilet paper, purchases of meat, vegetables, potatoes, and frozen pizzas doubled in the month of March when panic was at its height. In non-perishable items, home improvement products, bicycles, and Nintendo Switches were impossible to keep on the shelves. Seeds, likewise, garden seeds, were impossible to find. The ones I ordered took two months to come, and that was off Amazon that promises two-day delivery. Uh, and last but not least was the increase in ammunition sales, both online and in gun stores, to presumably protect all that stuff that we bought, right? <laughs> So how often do we think in terms of not only what's essential just to weather difficult times and to secure ourselves in what we feel we must have, how often do we really evaluate what's essential for the Christian mission? What is essential for the mission of the Christ-filled believer? What should we focus on? You know, another byproduct of the months of March and April, well into May and some of June, that I was grateful for was the chance to see a church, our church, stripped down to the essentials and to highlight what was most essential. You know, if you take everything away, the programs that we're used to, the comforts that we have in gathering like this, and if you boil all that down, what you cannot take away is the proclamation of God's word and the care of God's people. Those two things are indispensable. And those are the things that stood out to me and I think to all of you. And that's what I see in the text today. Jesus is passionate about providing what people need and his main agenda is that he provide his followers with all that is essential, with all that is essential for faithful Christian mission. Therefore, if that is true about Jesus, we must go on mission with all that Jesus provides. And today, I want us to look at three points. One, the essential mission. The essential mission, that's verses one and two. Then we're going to switch this around and talk about the mission essentials. I love the English language at times like that, where you can just flip something around and it means something completely different. All right, the essential mission and then mission essentials. And then what to do with a text like this? Because as we've read it twice here this morning, I think you might agree with me that it's a little hard to understand or where it might be easy to understand, it's hard to know how it applies today. And we really need some essential applications for where we live right now. All right, so let's look into this text, seeing this powerful Lord who provides his people with all that is essential for Christian mission, and for those of us who receive it, we'll be faithful to go and to be faithful witnesses 
for him that what is essential? What do we need? Well, let's look at the essential mission. In verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus calling the 12 together and giving them power and authority to go out on the mission that he gives them to do. Um, Luke has been building a case, as I said earlier, about who Jesus is. Uh, All throughout the first eight chapters, that's been the predominant question. And Jesus has shown again and again that he is the sovereign Lord over everyone and everything. Disease, demons, death, unbelievers, believers, weather, whatever it is, Jesus is the sovereign Lord over everyone and everything. And as he has come out on the scene, he has caused quite a stir just within 18 months of ministry. And this is now the midpoint of his three-year earthly ministry before the cross. And as he gets to this midpoint, Jesus knows that these 12 men that he has gathered to himself and invested in now need the experience that will come both now in testifying for him and for all the years afterward when he would be gone. So he prepares them for what they will have to have as their main mission, and he gives them in this text everything that they need and that all believers from that time on would need in order to be faithful to Jesus Christ and his mission. So as these 12 are called, it's interesting that in chapter 9 it says he's calling the 12 together. At various times, we could read in the, in the New Testament that the disciples who were assembled and called out by Jesus still at times needed to go home. Peter, we know, had a wife and a mother-in-law, and he would go back and visit uh, with them, care for them, not neglect that primary responsibility. But for that three-year time, these men were at the disposal of Jesus. When he called, they would quickly pack up whatever they needed, and they would go to him. And they would be ready, excited, to go wherever he wanted them to go. Could you imagine being one of those 12 men? And the excitement, and and the various ladies that were redeemed, that Jesus also called to accompany him, that Luke has already pointed out to us, being one of those early disciples who, whenever the Lord said, I've got a place for us to go, you never knew what you were going to get into. You didn't know if you were going to see a a storm at sea calmed. You didn't know if you would see a demonically oppressed man delivered and in his right mind serving the Lord. You just, you didn't know. So whenever the Lord called, they went there. And on this occasion, the Lord says, I have a mission for you. What is this essential mission? Well, in verse 1, again, we read, as he called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. In these verses, we have the essential mission that Jesus has given to us for all time. And this is how I understand it. First part of the essential mission is this. We are called to proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said in Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. 
Jesus, to this point, had gone throughout Galilee healing people, casting out demons, as well as proclaiming the kingdom of God. And when, when he was pressed to stay in a certain place, he said, no, I have to keep going. For I was sent for this purpose to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is the essential mission. This is the primary purpose for which Jesus was sent during his earthly ministry, to proclaim God's kingdom has arrived. God's kingdom is here. And when people would hear that, it would resonate with them that the promise of the ages for the people of Israel, that God, who ruled in the heavens, would come and that he would send his king, that that king had arrived. What is the message that Jesus then commissioned to his disciples to spread when he said to proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, at this point, we know that Jesus had not yet gone to the cross and died. He had not yet risen from the dead. Nevertheless, the elements of the good news of the gospel is here. First, what do we see? Well, they are to tell people that God rules. And this is what I'm helping us to understand. It's not necessarily in the text, but when they were to proclaim the kingdom of God, they were to tell other people, God is the sovereign ruler of everyone and everything. He made you, and he has sent a redeemer for you. And because he has made you, that gives him the right to tell us what to do. Right? God rules. It's amazing that the sentence in here is that he gave them power and authority over all demons. What did that have to do with anything? Well, the demons had their own kingdom. And long throughout human ages, they had ruled over the kingdoms of men. The Gentile territories all around Israel were controlled by demonically influenced leaders. You think about what happened in Luke chapter 8 as Jesus and his disciples went over the sea and a storm came up, a storm such as they had not experienced before. And Jesus just stands up and he rebukes it and he says, be muzzled. And it, it stops. Many interpreters believe, and I do as well, that that was a satanic attack as Jesus was about to enter Gentile-controlled territory. Because what happens when he steps onto the shore? The demoniac rushes him and says, what are you doing here? What have you to do with us? Are you here to torment us before the time? Right, the, the demonic powers that controlled the regions around Israel knew that a time was coming when Jesus would lay down the law and he would cast them out. And they were petrified of him. But they also knew that during their allotted time, they were allowed to run amok and to destroy and kill, to humiliate, to cause depravity to spread through the already depraved human hearts. And they did not want God infringing on their territory, but God who entered that Gentile territory said, come out of that man. And he sent those pigs running down that cliff into the abyss, the very place that the demons did not want to go. He is Lord. 
And these disciples would go with that message. This God rules. The the demons had even come into Israel. Are you catching by now in the Gospel of Luke how the demonic powers had encroached beyond their borders and are now in Israel terrorizing people there, even possessing people in that land? And Jesus, wherever he walks, spread his light. He spread his message of kingdom authority, and the demons trembled, and they left. And in in its place, Jesus placed his hope and his kingdom message. But we also know this, that humans must repent. Humans must repent of their rebellion against God's rule. We know this because of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. When he started his ministry, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. In other words, the time has come. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking through. It's right in front of you. So he says, repent and believe in the gospel. See, the disciples had heard this message already. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That means turn from your sin. Recognize that you are in rebellion against the God who rules. And submit your life to him by saying to him, I am wrong. I have chosen everything that I wanted, but I didn't choose you. I rejected you. Lord, I'm wrong. I am, that's hard for us to say sometimes, isn't it? I'm wrong. But to God, we must admit that. Lord, forgive me. Repentance is the acknowledgement that we have been going the wrong way. But belief is the the trust, the active faith that's required to anchor our, our hope and our eternity in God himself. The disciples would have known to call people to repent and to believe in the gospel and to specifically submit to God's Son. Jesus would go on to tell his disciples in this chapter of Luke chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus all along knew that his mission that he committed to these disciples to share centered around him and what he had come to do. Jesus is the one who would suffer at the hands of sinful men. And Jesus is the one who would deliver sinful men and women everywhere from their sins so that they could truly know and love and follow God. God rules. Each of us must repent and submit to God's Son. This is the message that they were commissioned to spread. But what we need to catch is this other point about the essential mission. They were to provide for human needs. Provide for human needs. And I put it this way because it's a way to summarize casting out demons and healing people and providing care for an individual. Sometimes we don't know what to do with these sections that talk about authority over all demons and curing diseases and healing people. I I think we, we kind of write off all of that immediately and think that doesn't apply to our tidy 21st century lives. 
Um, I talked with a brother who lives in another country, uh, who lives here now, but he's from another country. And this week he told me, you know, you may be thinking too American about this text. Uh, He told me about his home country. And if you walk down the street, you can see uh, idolaters and sorcerers who obviously are demon oppressed. And even on one occasion when a believer walked by said, you need to get out of here because if you're here, I can't hear from the spirits. See, around the world, we have all kinds of demonic powers that still control the hearts of men and women. And we are called in every place we go to recognize that the spiritual war is still happening. And if we are providing for human needs, we recognize that even if we, in this age, different than the apostles, do not have the power to touch someone and to heal their physical infirmities, and if we don't have the power ourselves, and no one does, to cast out a demon, we do have the power and authority of Jesus to minister to people where they are and to help them significantly with their human needs. Beyond this, it's just a practical way that Christians have always adorned the preaching of the gospel by seeing those that they preach to as whole individuals who need care, who need love. And if we are doing that, we are being faithful to the essential mission of proclaiming the gospel. May God give us discernment as we go into these various areas that are going to call on us to deal with impossibly difficult things. And speaking of that, what is essential to carry out this mission? I want to go to point two. The mission essentials, as I see them, are these. In the first place, power and authority. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in these verses about what they are to do. But I want you to notice he does not tell them what to do without first calling them and empowering them for what he wants them to do. I am grateful that the first component that he deems essential for any disciple is power and authority to carry out the mission. And this is what he does for them. He gave them that power and authority. That word power is the same word that Pastor Sam referenced a few weeks ago. Uh, In the Greek, it's dunamis. And it is where we get our English word dynamite, but it doesn't mean to blow something up. It means uh, over an overabundance of energy to fulfill the thing for which it is supposed to do. Uh, In other words, it's inherent power. Wrapped up in this word power is the power and the energy, all that is required to get something done. And so when Jesus empowers a believer, he gives that believer all that they need to get the job done. And by faith, these men believe it. And they go out and they do what Jesus says. He also gave them authority. This is delegated authority. And I love how God always works. God always chooses 
to use fallible human beings in his plan. This is what's amazing to me. He could have chosen to do everything that he wanted to display his glory without doing anything with human beings. He could have done all he wanted and everything he needed to do to show his glory and never use a human being. But you'll see in Luke chapter 9, he is involving human beings in the spread of his mission, in the spread of his message. He, even in the next text, calls humans, redeemed people, to feed others who are in need, even as he himself multiplies the fish and the loaves. And he calls on others as he himself goes to the cross to bear their own crosses and to follow him. The Lord involves his people with every aspect of his mission, and he empowers everyone for his mission. The next thing that is essential is dependence on God. Dependence on God. Look at verse 3 again. This is an interesting one. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. It's intriguing to me that none of these things are allowed. Whenever I've gone on a mission trip, whether it's, it's been a week or a year, I always go with two full suitcases, a backpack that can fit under the seat in front of me, and a personal carry-on item. Uh, it's non-negotiable because I need all those things. But Jesus says, you're not allowed to take a staff, a bag, bread, money, or a change of clothes. Think about it for a minute. If we had a West Park missions trip and we invited your middle and high school students to go on a week-long mission trip and we said no bread can be taken, no snacks, no bag, and no change of clothes. I think a lot of middle school boys at this point, you're saying, oh, I'll sign up for that adventure. <laughs> but the parents are saying no. All right, why? Why do people need these things? Well, one, they provide comfort, and another, they provide security. That's what these things do. Another thing that started to sell and rise in popularity during the early weeks of COVID-19 were bug-out bags. Have you heard of a bug-out bag before? A bug-out bag. It's uh, something that you can build yourself or you can buy from an online retailer, and here are the things that are in it. Uh, food, medical supplies, uh, something to organize your money and important papers, and various survival tools and utensils. You know what I'm talking about now? You can call it whatever you want to. It's a backpack, basically, or some kind of duffel bag that you can stuff all this stuff into. And if you have an emergency, you can grab it and go. If a flood comes and you have to grab one thing, you want to make sure you have it all in one place and you go. It's not a bad idea, um, but everybody started to get into it. Um, the Kardashians had their own line. <laughs> and they saw prepper websites, and they decided to have a preppy website and made a bag called Judy, where you could, I don't know why it's called Judy, but you could put all your stuff in there. And it's even endorsed by Oprah, so you know it's good. All right, everybody, it seemed, was about comfort and security during those months of COVID-19 but I think that's what we think is essential all the time, right? How many of us would say, I don't want to be comfortable and I don't want to be secure? Well, I don't think anybody would say that. 
But Jesus says he's sending these men out, send them out on a mission that will cause them to grow not only in their power and authority from Jesus, but in their dependence on God. God wants them to to go out with the confidence that he is alive and that he really does rule over the affairs of men. Now, this is not the, the typical mission trip, and I'll comment at the end about why this is not to be repeated today, why we don't send out our middle school and high school students with no supplies on a mission trip. All right? But what Jesus was doing here was giving them an opportunity to live the life that they had been living with him, but without him, and an opportunity for them to trust him and to grow in dependence on him, because that was a skill, that was an essential that they would need for the rest of their lives. In Luke chapter 22, when many months, around 18 months after this event, Jesus gathered the disciples together again. He says, when I sent you out without money, without bread, without a staff, without a change of clothes, did you lack anything? And their response was, nothing. How amazing is it when in our Christian experience, we can obey the Lord and we can trust him And we actually believe that he's going to supply our daily bread. That we actually believe that he's going to bring us the right kind of comfort at the right time. If we actually believe that he will keep us secure. And if he doesn't, the kind of faith that in the words of an old hymn that says, our rest is in heaven. Our rest is not here. So why should I worry when trouble draws near? The worst that can happen whatever befall, but shortens our journey and hastens us home. This is the dependence on God, the faith that is the bedrock of the believer and the essential that a believer needs in a life of mission. Dependence on God. God, I can't do anything apart from you. Please go with me. Be in me. Show yourself strong through me. This kind of dependence on God it shows up to the world, and it leads to a contentment. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Why did Jesus say this? Well, contentment is important because in the heart of every person is a tendency to want just a little bit more, to want just one more thing whether that's chocolates, whether that's mid-range purchases. I think of when I last purchased an iPhone, I I went, I I buy month-to-month service, and I buy a phone. My plan is to buy a phone that's about three models back from the most recent phone that will still be reliable. Um, And when I go there, I see not only that phone, but just the next one up that has just a couple more features, a better camera, something that, that's just cooler. And I, I feel that pull in my own heart to just want a little bit more. See, when that gets magnified to people who are watching you to see if you're genuine, that tendency just to want a little bit more, what would happen if the disciples went into a town and they, they, they checked in, not to an inn, but to someone's home? basically looking around, hey, we are here, 
And we, we are the disciples of Jesus. Have you heard of him? Jesus of Nazareth. And immediately the, the testimony would have gone around that village and people would have gathered. Okay, well, is Jesus here? No, but he sent us with good news of the kingdom of God. And we're here to proclaim it to you and to heal and to cast out demons. So like, wow. Maybe someone would have grabbed them and said, please, brothers, stay with me in my home. It's humble, it's modest, but I think you'll like it there. We have enough food to help give to you for your time here. What if the disciples had said, oh, thank you very much. But in the meantime, they're looking around the crowd to see who has the most expensive clothes on. And maybe the next day they'll say, well, you know what, thank you, but I'm going to go stay with this brother over here. You know, his home is three times bigger. He's got nicer food. He's obviously well off. You know, the testimony that that would have conveyed to the people who were receiving the gospel is, well, you're here not for me. You're here for you. You're here just to get what you can out of this. And Jesus knew that in his time, already there were false teachers going all throughout Galilee who were spreading the message. And the message that they were saying was good, but the method was all wrong. And it's just like we have today. People who may say some good things, but if you look at their life, what they want is something from you. They don't have something primarily for you. And they're leading you into more bondage and idolatry. The idolatry of things. The idolatry of just a little bit more. And Jesus says an essential, an essential for Christian mission is contentment. My God supplies all my needs. And finally, it requires discernment. Discernment. This is actually what you can find in verses 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9. Um, in verse 5, we read this. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. In these final verses, all the way down through the story of Herod, far off in his, in his palace somewhere, what we read here is that Jesus gives the essential of discernment to his disciples. They are not to spend time trying to prevail on some people who don't want to receive the message of the kingdom. They are not to spend their time trying to convince people who otherwise just don't want to hear it. But on top of that, they have the authority from Jesus, the delegated authority in the place of God, to say to those who would reject the gospel by shaking the dust off their feet, just knocking the dust off as a visual to the people, you've rejected God, God is moving on from you. What a terrifying position that would be for anybody to know that God ordained these men to come to your town that Jesus himself commissioned them to spread the good news. And when they told you, you just laughed it off or you said, I don't believe that. And now, not even knowing that in the act of knocking the dust off their feet, they're communicating what prophets of old did and what other Jewish rabbis would do when they would come back into Israel from Gentile territory. They would shake off their clothing and they would knock off the, thing, the dust from their sandals before they would go back into Israel because they didn't want to contaminate it with anything foul from the outside. And these, these apostles, these disciples would do the same for those who rejected 
the message of the kingdom of God. They would knock the dust off their feet. This is what you find Paul and Barnabas doing in Acts 13. It's an example from the New Testament. In Acts 13, 51, it says, Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them. And this is when they preached the gospel and the Gentiles rejoiced. And the Jews gathered people together and said, this Paul and this Barnabas are causing trouble for us here in Pisidian Antioch. Let's figure out how we can run them out of the city. And that's what they did. They ran them out of the city. And as the Gentiles rejoiced and the church thrived, the Jews stood there with their hands on their hips and looked at Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. And this is what the Christian mission requires. It's discernment about where our efforts need to be applied and the authority of God to make a judgment call about where to camp out and who to talk to and when to move on. A lot of people have questions about this. How do I know when enough is enough when I'm sharing my my witness with somebody and they just don't seem to be interested? They just don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not telling you to go to their front door and to take off your boots and to whack them together and then to move on. There comes a a point, though, where you symbolically may need to move on. You continue to pray and you trust God that he can can save anybody. This is the amazing thing about God. The most hard-hearted people, Saul himself, Paul, who rejected God, God stopped him in the middle of the road and said, you'd better pay attention. These Christians you're persecuting, you're persecuting me. That was Jesus in his authority directly intervening in the life of, of an individual sinner. And this is what God calls us to do. But he gives us the authority to make decisions about where to invest our time. Jesus did this ultimately in the, the case of Herod the Tetrarch. I'll just go quickly through these verses. You see an image that's totally different from the mission of the disciples going out. Right? That's a a rural countryside scene as Jesus commissions them to go to the villages of Galilee. Then you shift dramatically into a palace scene with Herod the Tetrarch. It's kind of like when you're watching a drama on TV and you've got these opposing worldviews and all of a sudden... When you're out in the countryside, maybe in some English drama, period drama, you've got people out working in the fields, and then you shift to the people working in the big house, and then the owners working in the big house, right? Well, this is a similar thing that Luke is doing here. He's shifting the scene to show something that highlights what's happening in the first. You know, Jesus ultimately shook the dust of his own sandals against Herod. In this text, Herod is so perplexed to know what's going on out here in his region, right? What's happening uh, among Jesus and the disciples is effectively Herod's politically, uh, well, he is leading and he's ruling over this region, and he wants to know what's going on. This is the kind of stuff that John the Baptist used to do, and the rumors are circulating around his palace about the stuff that's going on out there in the countryside, and he reasons within himself The the rumors are that John the Baptist has come back from the dead or that Elijah the prophet has come or one of the prophets of old. But then he says just so callously, so flippantly, I beheaded John. 
So who is this about whom I hear such things? Herod was a wicked man. He's kind of like one of, in my view, he's, he's kind of like one of these self-absorbed YouTube people who go around making all these videos that get millions of views of them embarrassing themselves or, or hurting or humiliating other people. And he's that kind of personality where it's just all about him. Whatever he wants, he'll, he'll get, and he'll use whatever means he has to to get it because he's self-absorbed. And he's just thinking, you know, who, who is this about whom I'm hearing such things? I want to see this guy. And we find out later on in the Gospel of Luke, it was all about seeing some kind of show, some divine miracle. And he's getting fed up with Jesus. By Luke chapter 13, a group of scribes come and they say, Jesus, you've got to get out of this region because Herod's trying to kill you. And Jesus says, you go back and you tell that fox. And it doesn't mean fox like foxy or cool. He means deceptive and bad. You go tell that fox that today I work and tomorrow I work, and on the third day, I will rise. This is Jesus taking the authority, and he doesn't, he doesn't care what Herod says, because he knows that Herod is not invested to know him and to follow him. Herod is all about himself. And when Jesus appears before Herod, he doesn't even say a word. And Herod and anger sends him off. So my friends, what are some essential applications from all this? What, what are we to think about this? Because on the one hand, verses 1 through 6, as I've said, are very different than the mission context that we have today. They are not quite the same as what we would think when we go out to serve on mission. Um, but what should we do when it comes to applying the mission essential and the essential mission? Well, I think that we need to be careful to tell others the good news. And for believers, that's application number one. Spread the good news. Spread the good news. You know, John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote a prayer called Help Our Witness. Uh, I think we need help with our witness. I'm going to read that prayer in just a minute to you. Uh, this week, if you kept up with the news, people are concerned about a variety of things, and none of which are about the power of God. There's all kinds of things you could watch on TV, but I lamented this week that the majority of what we can watch exalt human power but they don't exalt God's power. And I think in this week, when a lot of believers have boycotted Netflix, it's time for us to think about what our priorities are and whether we have the essentials and whether we're prioritizing those essentials. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, he led in this prayer, help our witness. And it's short, let me read it. Lord, we profess the faith and yet care not for the dying. We profess and yet long not for the coming of the day of God. We profess and yet by our whole life show to them that can see how little a measure of it we have in our hearts. Lord, lead us more into the power of things. 
I, I love that simple prayer. Lord, lead us more into the power of things. He's talking about what we've shared here this morning. The essential message, the essential mission, and the mission essentials. Lord, the power, the dependence on you, the authority to do the things that you say. Lead us into those things. And then he prays, then the virtues of him who has saved us and called us out of darkness into his marvelous light will be made known to others. Amen. Oh, how rich we are when, friends, we remember the one who loved us and he gave himself for us and he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Nothing fuels the fire of the human heart for the mission of God than to know that you, despite yourself, despite the great debt of sin that you had, you were loved. And the Son of God sacrificed his own body on the, on the cross for you. And he reconciled you to his God. So that as God looks at you, he doesn't look at your failures. And my friends, he doesn't even look at your failures in mission and sharing the gospel this morning. But we can still go to him and say, Lord, we are sorry for how we have not prioritized the essential mission. And Lord, would you lead us into the power of things? Lead us back into what you alone can do in our hearts and through us. And likewise, friends, we, we have to meet human needs. And I just want to say, you are in a wonderful environment where you can learn to do that, and you can do that little by little over time with others. Think about Cedarbrook Outreach here and how it reaches the neighborhoods around our church. And they share not only provisions or English opportunities to learn, they provide the gospel. Contact Teresa Doctor or one of our Cedarbrook Outreach folks and go out with them. Uh, go, go to our food pantry and, and team up with people there who can show you what happens when you meet people who come into our church to help them with provisions, but also with the, the message of the gospel. Likewise, the furniture ministry, and so many times I've heard of the men and the women who go out to bless others by helping provide them with things they need, only to have an opportunity to sit down in the new living room that they provide and to share the gospel and to pray with people. These opportunities are multiplying through you, our church. Praise God. So on the one hand, we're, we're sharing the gospel and we're meeting human needs. Team up with people in this church who can help you know places where you can do that more and more and grow more and more. And I have one application for my non-Christian friends today, and then I'm done. For my non-Christian friends who, who might be here today or hearing this message as we share this time together here. Determine today to truly submit to Jesus, the Lord. Determine today, today, now, right here as this service finally wraps up. Determine today to submit to Jesus, the Lord. Herod, Herod, my friends, was always an outsider. He was always late to the party. He never knew what was going on because he wasn't a part of what was going on. 
May that never be true for you, my non-Christian friend, who are here today. You've experienced a little bit of the power that we've been talking about today because you've seen the lives of other people around you change. But now you're wondering, what is this all about? It's about Jesus. When the disciples came back and when the report reached Herod, it wasn't Herod scratching his beard and saying, what is it that these men are doing? He said, who is Jesus? The gospel presentations and the good works, the meeting of human needs should not be about us, my friends. But for those of you here who do not know Jesus today, it is about the Lord Jesus and your need to be right with him. So as Pastor Doug comes, consider these things. And let's pray as we conclude. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that the mission is ever before us. In many ways, it is a task unfinished. Yet our lives are yours to control. Lord, we need to get back to the power of things. I think of the new believers who may be here among us, and they they recognize that power. It has recently saved them. I pray that you would grow them in their faith. For those of us who have walked with you for years, help us to determine now open to you and to get back to the power of the mission, the power of Jesus at work in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen.